Well, good morning, everyone. How's everyone today? So first and foremost, we give all honor and glory to our Lord God because he's worthy of our praise. Um, I also thank Pastor Angel and Ms. Robin for continued prayers and encouragement, um, support, and the opportunity to be here today. Um, I thank you, Isaac, for your continued devotion to this church body, um, your prayers and your encouragement. And we thank you, brothers and sisters, for your encouragement, your fellowship, and just the atmosphere that we have here as we all try to follow the Lord and do his will in our lives. So on behalf of Fresh Vision Church, we welcome everyone who is, excuse me, who is here today. So as, we, as I began to prepare for this morning's message a couple of weeks ago, this thought was given to me about the trials that we face in life and how we as Christians deal with those trials. Um, from worshiping with each and every one of you here over the last couple of months, I know that each and every one of us has a unique trial that we're going through, some of us multiple trials. And as Christians, there is a way we're supposed to deal with them. And honestly, there's sometimes we don't handle those trials very well at all. Um, but there are other times when the Lord does something in us and he moves us out of the way. He uses us as his conduit to demonstrate his love, his joy, his peace, his patience, his kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness, his gentleness, and his self-control. And so those are really, really sweet times, especially because the Lord is manifesting these things in us. It's nothing that we're manufacturing, but it's what he's doing in us. So as we allow him to use us more and more like this when we're handling trials, um, the more that we handle trials in the right way and the times that we don't handle trials very well becomes less frequent. So in other words, the Lord changes us in a way that allows us to keep our focus on him whenever we're dealing with tough things in life. So in essence, this is a process called transformation. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, we are called on, upon by the Apostle Paul to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And so this verse further indicates that this is our worship. We're not supposed to be transformed by this age or everything that's going on around us here in this world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we may discern what is good, pleasing, and the perfect will of God. And so this process takes time. And for those of us who are saved, while there are things in our lives that change immediately when we, when we become saved upon salvation, there are many things in our life that are transformed over time. An example of things in my life that continue to be transformed over time is my response to trials. Um, before I accepted Christ, my response was immediate anger. But over time, the Lord continues to transform me to understand that there's a purpose for everything that he's allowed to happen in my life. Here recently, I'm learning that my ability to be compassionate is directly related to my trials, both past and current. So as he transforms us, we are more apt to both discern and do what is pleasing to him regarding our trials, as well as everything else in our lives. In James chapter 1, verse 22, we're reminded to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Though the pro or through the process of following him, we read his word, we pray, and we pay attention to the work of the Holy Spirit within us. And as we continue to do these things in devotion to him, we seek to become more and more like him daily, doing his will as he reveals it to us. So with this thought that was given to me a couple of weeks ago as we began to prepare for this message, 
I began to pray over this question, how should we deal with and experience the trials that we face in life? The first chapter of James in the New Testament of the Bible provides us with God's perspective and wisdom regarding this question. So today's message is entitled, The Trials of Life. Please bow your heads for just a couple of moments. Our Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to come into this house and worship you. We thank you for the opportunity to have freedom to express our faith in you and to share who you are with others. And we just ask that you take this time that we're learning about you and how you want us to handle trials and that you use it to glorify yourself, Father God. We ask that you move me out of the way, that you fill me with the Holy Spirit, and that you use this time um, so you use me as your voice and your microphone to speak into the hearts of others as well as myself, Father God. We lift this time up to you. We thank you for the privilege of being here, and we lift this up to you in your son's name. Amen. So I mentioned the title of our message today. I mentioned that we're going to be going over James chapter 1, verses 1 through 8 and verse 12. But before we begin to explore that section of the Bible, I want to... I think it's important for us to understand the basis of everything that we said so far is the relationship that we have with Christ. Um, through a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, we're able to both go through our trials and even experience his joy during those trials. This doesn't mean that we're supposed to pretend that we're happy. It doesn't mean that we're supposed to smile and laugh all the time throughout our trials. But what it does mean is that we have his assurance that he is in control of everything in our lives that we will never have to go through anything on our own again, and that everything we face in life will be used by the Lord to transform us into who he wants us to become, his devoted children who desire to be close to him and to be used for his glory. So as we reflect on our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, we are reminded of Adam and Eve's original sin in the Garden of Eden that was detrimental to humankind. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 indicates that therefore just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin in this way death spread to all people because all have sinned we're also reminded in romans chapter 3 verse 23 that the result of original sin has been passed down to all humans for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god and i'm reminded here that all means all we're reminded in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this death referred to as a spiritual death, resulting in an eternity spent in hell when not dealt with accordingly. We're reminded there is nothing we can do on our own to fix, this, fix our own sin nature. But through God, we're reminded that in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that God proves his own love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is a huge reason for joy. We're reminded of what it says in John chapter 14, verse 6, when uh, it says, Jesus told him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So this means that Christ's death on the cross is the only way to be saved. There is no other for salvation, and there is no other answer outside of Jesus Christ. You can't do a bunch of good things to be saved. You can't just live a good life to be saved. You cannot just um, hope that you live good enough and that your good will outweigh the bad. That's not how it works. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 tells us how it works. It tells us that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So true salvation comes when a person turns away from their sin 
and truly believes that Christ died on the cross for their sins. So looking around this room right now, I believe that many, if not most of us in this room already have a relationship with the Lord. We realize that at one point in our lives, we are sinners in need of a savior. We believe that Jesus came to this earth, he died on the cross for our sins, and many of us in this room believe that he rose again, and that at one point in time, many of us trusted him, and we gave our lives over to his leadership so that way we can honor him in all that we do, and we can follow him, and we can obey him. Through our relationship with the Lord Jesus, we know that the Lord is with us because the Holy Spirit lives within us when we're saved. John chapter 14, verse 6 reminds us that we were given another counselor to be with us forever. He is the spirit of truth who remains in us and continues to be in us. So as we look at how we're supposed to respond to trials, our relationship with Christ and being saved by Christ and being indwelt by the Holy Spirit is a huge component of how Christians are supposed to handle trials. If a person's not saved and they don't have the Holy Spirit and they don't have that hope, trials become that much more difficult. Um, I believe it's also important for us to realize that as a saved believer who follows Christ, we need to recognize that this does not mean a perfect, problem-free life. There are some out there who will teach you that once you're saved, everything's going to be problem-free, but that's not correct. There are many places in the Bible that warn us that trials come in life, especially because we're saved. John chapter 15, verses 18 through 21, Jesus said, If the world hates you, Understand that it hated me before it hated you. This is Jesus. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But they do all these things to you on account of my name because they don't know the one who sent me. So another area of the Bible that tells us that we will have trials in our life as we walk the Christian walk is Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. It tells us, for it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf not to only believe in him, but to suffer for him. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 through 13 reminds us that, in fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Evil people and impostors will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. This verse reminds us that we will experience opposition from unbelievers, and we will have increased difficulties, hardships, and trials. But we're not supposed to be discouraged by all of that. Today, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that provides us with a deeper understanding of how we're supposed to deal with trials that we will face in life. So, as mentioned before, I'll be reading from the first chapter of James. We'll be covering verses 1 through 8 and verse 12 of this chapter. If you're able, please rise for the reading of God's word. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. Verse 6, but let him ask in faith without doubting. For the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and 
tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. Blessed is the one who endures trials, this is verse 12, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Thank you. You may be seated. So the book of James provides us with practical information about how we live the Christian life. Specifically mentioned includes the piety of the poor, perfection in Christ, and the need to seek his wisdom. In this passage that we're exploring today, we're encouraged to endure trials patiently, especially because those who are saved have the presence of the Holy Spirit, the assurance that he's with us during these trials, and because the Lord uses these trials to make us more Christ-like. So let's go ahead and explore this passage. Verse 1 reads, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes dispersed abroad. Greetings. So in this verse, we we learn that the book of James is believed to have been written by James, the half-brother of Jesus. And James probably wrote this book in Jerusalem, where he lived his life. Um, It's believed that James was a Jewish Christian who came to faith when, according to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 7, he saw Jesus after the resurrection. It's believed that James wrote this book under God's inspiration to other Jewish Christians. This book is what is called a general epistle, meaning that it was written to be passed around and read in various locations. According to authors Tom Lee and David Allen Black, it is believed that this book was written to provide an overall appeal for believers to demonstrate their faith through a lifestyle that reflects their faith commitment. The book of James was probably written between A.D. 45 and A.D. 48. So the reference to the 12 tribes scattered about describes Jews who embrace the Christian faith and the dispersed children of God who struggle because of their walk. Verse 2, it reads, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. And this is a verse that I think everyone in this room can identify with. In this verse, the reference to brothers and sisters indicates that this overall message was to fellow believers and that the trials experienced were of different types. So let's take a look at the word trials. The 1828 Webster's Dictionary defines the idea of various trials as an examination by test, experiment, such as in chemistry or metallurgy, experiment, lack of of examining by experience, suffering that puts strength, patience of faith to the test, afflictions or temptations that exercise and prove the graces or virtues of men, trials of cruel mocking and scourging, temptations, and overall test of virtue. So as we look at trials and testing and whatnot, the thought that was brought to mind is that there are different types of testing that we go through in life on a daily basis. Um, We have members of the military and veterans here. You went through your your basic combat training, you went through your boot camp, your um, technical training, and at the end you were tested to see if you're proficient at it. Um, Several of you in here um, work in different professions. You had licensing examinations. Um, We have people who've gone through formal education and and written dissertations and had to defend them. And so testing showed people to be approved in those areas. So in some cases, our trials, the things that we face in our Christian walk, serve as tests of our faith, patience, and reliance on Him. Thomas Constable indicated that there are trials of fidelity, integrity, virtue, consistency, enticements to sin, temptation, and all of these can either be external from outside of us or internal 
regarding our, the condition of our heart. There are many examples of trials in the Bible. Um, summarizing a few of them, in the book of Ruth, we learned of a woman named Naomi, her husband, and her two sons that moved to Moab because there was a famine in Judah. Her sons married Moabite women, and while in Moab, Naomi's husband and her two sons died. Naomi, as well as her daughter-in-laws, faced significant trials when her sons and her husband died. So through God's amazing provision and Ruth's loyalty to Naomi during these trials, both Naomi and her daughter-in-law Ruth were eventually redeemed by Jewish customs of the time when Boaz married Ruth to preserve her husband's lineage. So there's one example of a trial that was described in the Bible. So in the 11th chapter of 2 Corinthians, we learn about the trials faced by the Apostle Paul because of his labor for Christ. We learn that he had been beaten, stoned, he was shipwrecked three times, lost at sea, he was stuck in the midst of dangers of wilderness and at sea, and he faced both criminals and false brothers. We also learn in the 12th chapter of 2 Corinthians that the Apostle Paul had a thorn in the flesh. Many believe that this thorn had something to do with health matters that caused him to struggle and go through trials. But the Apostle Paul considered this something to be glad about because the Lord said to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness, and because it made him rely on the Lord. Another example, in the 16th chapter of Acts, we learn of a time that the Apostle Paul and Silas were imprisoned for commanding a future telling spirit to come out of a slave girl in the name of Jesus Christ. This ruined the slave girl's owner's ability to profit <laughs> off of her. And so the Apostle Paul and Silas were imprisoned, but during their imprisonment, they were praying and singing hymns to God, reflecting the joy that they experienced in the Lord. And of course, Jesus, we know that he faced trials while he was walking on this earth when he was sent here um, for the ministry here on earth to eventually die on the cross and rise again so we could be saved. Being that he was perfect, he navigated those trials perfectly and gave us example after example after example of how to handle the trials that we face in life and in doing his will. I think it can be said that we all go through trials in our lives. Examples include the loss of loved ones, the needs that others have and our obligation to address those needs, aging parents, siblings that don't have their lives figured out, children who have learned things the hard way, family members who have chronic illnesses, spouses whose goals or needs are opposite of yours, addictions, and then of course there are financial trials um, like emergencies, um, hot water heaters blowing up, water, um, car maintenance, and other for un unforeseen expenses. These things seem to happen all at once for my family and I. And there are times when you just don't have enough to take care of your needs. Previous generations used to say there's more a month than there is check. Irresponsibility. I think even the wisest money managers have made mistakes with their money from time to time. Um, there are times that we're called upon to address the needs of others. And there are situations where some people even have too much money and they don't know what to do with it. I personally never have this problem. There are the trials of raising children. I personally feel um, raising children is a special season of life that's filled with joy. But even with the joy that comes from all that, there are still trials associated with seasons, such as when they have health problems. Um, we talk about our children's material and emotional needs. And then there's a the strong-willed child. I think every family has that one child that does whatever they want, even though their, their desires are destructive to everyone around them. It seems as if this child must learn everything the hard way. And it seems that they only feel loved when others have to sacrifice because of their mistakes. There are trials in that, but even with that, 
the Lord gives us the wisdom that we would need in order to navigate those situations and for the Lord to be um, honored and glorified in all of that. Um, I think about the younger son in the um, parable of the prodigal son. He's the one that had to learn things the hard way. He demanded his share of the family inheritance, then turned around and squandered it away in sinful living and returned home once he came to realize of the goodness and the safety that comes from honoring his father and living because of his proper view of it. Then I think about the quiet child who endures everything internally and doesn't seek others for help. This child often struggles internally and becomes resentful as a result. Back to the parable of the prodigal son, I think about that older son who was there all the time. He didn't leave home and he served his father according to the father's wishes, but he expressed resentment when his brother returned because his, brother, his father threw a celebration for the younger brother, and this is when everything came out about, I never got a party like that, I've done everything for you. We start seeing the motives, and those are some trials, uh, there are some trials inherent in that as well. There are trials in raising children with disabilities, that's a whole different story. Many times, especially those of us who work with people with disabilities, there's a lot of effort poured into working with people with disabilities, and you may not see the immediate fruit of that effort. Um, and in a lot of cases, the extra labor that goes into it doesn't make everything okay. Um, there are other times that trials come from dealing with people who don't understand disability and then try to place that on top of your child. Um, sometimes trials come from isolation and loneliness. I think of those who are sick and they're shut in their homes, they can't go anywhere and they're disconnected from life. There are trials that come from navigating life's demands and overly filled schedules. I look around this room here, we have several people who have um, professional or trades type jobs and they've got busy schedules, they're raising kids, they go to school, they have family, they have ministry, and everyday life is just busy and that causes a trial in itself. Um, there are trials related to health. We have terminal illnesses like cancer, heart disease, kidney disease, failing body systems, and then of course there are age-related changes and deteriorating body functions. Isaac spoke a couple of weeks ago about our imperfect bodies here and the fact that we will be getting new bodies in heaven. We can look forward to that, but while we're here on earth, there are trials inherent with the aging body in itself. Um, then there's work. Um, many times we have too much work. Um, there are times where other people try to get us to do immoral things or unethical things. And there are times where we have trouble even finding a job. Um, there are mental health concerns, ADD, ADHD, depression, schizophrenia, bipolar tendencies, narcissism, sociopathic tendencies, and PTSD. And then, of course, there are learning difficulties. So there are a lot of different trials that we can go through on earth. So. Having said that, this verse considers us, or calls us to consider this a great joy, my brothers and sisters, when you experience various trials. It's not a call to false expressions of happiness, but it's a reminder that we're to look to the Lord for our joy. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23 reminds us that the fruit generated from the Holy Spirit living in us includes joy. And our joy, again, it's not something manufactured or it's not false happiness or anything like this. This comes from being saved. This comes from knowing that we have eternity spent in heaven with our Lord. This comes from knowing that we have him in times of trial and from knowing that he will use the circumstances of our trials for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. The author of this particular section of the Bible is encouraging Christ's followers to meet trials with faith and wisdom from God resulting in joy. We're also reminded that the various trials we face, if viewed through the joy that we have in the Lord, it can entice us to sin and focus on things that are not of God. So let's move on to verse 3. It reads, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. 
So we talked about these trials that we, um, um, that we encounter during life. There is purpose to them. And, and according to the word here, it says that they serve, uh, they serve as tests to our faith in him, and they strengthen our belief of the power, word, and promise of God. These trials also build our ability to deal with future trials, which the word told us that we will be facing. For those of us in here who are saved, this is the test that comes through our trials and our endurance is built as we walk through these trials. Do we believe that he saved us from an eternity in hell spent apart from him, even though things are not going well right in front of us right now? Do we truly believe that everything the Lord has said in the word is true, even though we cannot see the final results of the situation we're facing? Do we truly believe that the final victory is in eternity and not on this earth? Do we still believe that he's in control and that he has our best interests at heart no matter what is going on around us. That's a pretty significant test. But the way we deal with trials and our relationship with Christ can answer all of those. So these trials, they contribute to the renewing of our mind so that we may discern the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. These trials are also the condition through which other fruit of the Spirit are demonstrated in us when we're going through trials by the Lord to demonstrate His character to others who may not yet know Him. A point of transparency here, I don't think it's any secret that my family and I have been going through some trials for the last four or five months. Anything that could have gone wrong has gone wrong in our lives. And there's no perfection in the way that we've handled them. But at the end of the day, we can tell very clearly, have we had our eyes focused on the Lord as we're dealing with those trials, or have we been looking everywhere else? In those cases, when we've been looking to the Lord for wisdom and guidance in how to handle them, the fruit of the Holy Spirit within us becomes manifest, and it in and of itself has become a testimony to others, especially the people that I work with, especially the neighbors that Geneva hangs out with on a daily basis, especially the people that we minister to, that we've been called to minister to in our daily walk. They see the fruit of the Spirit as we're connected to the Lord, handling these trials. They ask that question, what is so different about how you're handling this situation? I would be a complete loss right now. And that gives us the opportunity to say, well, you know what, but Jesus. He's the one that equipped us. He's the one that fills us with the Holy Spirit. He's the one that has saved us. And because of this, we're able to walk through this trial knowing that no matter what happens, it's going to be for His glory anyway. And He's going to shape us into the people that He wants us to be. And that is amazing. That's something to be, that fills us with joy, even though this circumstance is hard and we don't understand it. We're also reminded that these tests to our faith are a good thing because these tests are used to transform and change us from people who are impatient and immature to people who are patient, mature, and have the endurance to run this race while keeping our eyes on Jesus, who is the source of and perfecter of our faith. We know that the testing of our faith produces endurance. So let's move on. Verse 4 reads, And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So when we're surrendered to the Lord, we're allowing the Lord to work in our lives. The fruit of the Holy Spirit works in us, and it produces patience. This patience is a key component of the Lord developing within us the endurance necessary to run this race. And it enables the situation for the Lord to build within us our character as he works in us to become more mature. 
It's the Lord's desire to transform us to be more like him. And as we allow him to perfect us through these trials that we face, and as we're facing these trials and as he's perfecting us, we grow to be more mature in faith. Author Warren Wearsby points out that the Apostle Paul outlined three works that are involved in a complete Christian's life. First, there is the work that God does for us, which is salvation. Jesus Christ completed this work on the cross, and if we trust him, he will save us. Second, there's the work that God does in us, for we're his workmanship. This work is known as sanctification. God builds our character during this time, and we become more and more like Jesus Christ as God is building our character during this time. And then the third work is what God does through us, which is service. We're created in Christ Jesus unto good work. So it's not works that saves us, but because he's working in us and he's equipping us and he's giving us the endurance and patience through these trials, he is using us to minister to others. And that may be your neighbor, that may be a congregation, whoever it is that the Lord has called you to minister to. It may be your coworkers. He's preparing us through these trials. So during trials, the Lord is working in us, and through his work in us, he's transforming us in a way that leads to maturity. Let's go on to verse 5. It says, Now if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. And so the question comes, what do you do during trials? Um, We had mentioned earlier that you could either look to the Lord or you could look to the world. If you look to the Lord, he'll guide your path. If you look to the world, you're going to be going through a bunch of rabbit holes and trails, and you probably won't be pursuing the most righteous way of handling those trials. And and there are times that we don't respond so well to trials, and that's because we've got our eyes focused on the world. Um, Again, over the last few months, I've had one personal trial after another after another, and I can't say that I've always looked to Christ. But in those times that I have looked to Christ, he's been glorified. In those times that I haven't, it hasn't been so good. And sometimes we see when someone's not responding to well, responding so well to trial includes pouting, sulking, tantrum throwing, yelling, using anger to treat others poorly, blaming others, pushing our own agendas, blaming others, holding grudges, becoming resentful, and other negative, socially inappropriate, and sinful behaviors. We don't want to be there. What we want to be is we want to keep connected to Jesus. We want to keep connected to focusing on him so that way we can respond to trials in the right way. Um, Given the context of everything that we've said so far and everything that we've learned in this book of James, I believe that the writer James is telling us that when we encounter trials, we as Christian believers who were saved from eternity, set apart from him, who were bought with a price, who have been tested and transformed by the Lord, and who are going through the processes of sanctification, are supposed to consider these trials as pure joy. I believe that the writer James is also telling us that we're supposed to rely on God's wisdom and to ask him for that wisdom, guidance, and direction as we go through these trials so that we can be in his will and so we can also gain what he wants us to gain from the trials that we're facing. Wisdom is a resource that the Lord gives to us to deal with our trials. And I think many of us are familiar with what Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 through 7 says. Um, We're reminded that God gives wisdom liberally. It reads, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him, and he will make your path straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Through that short passage of scripture, we're reminded that when we seek wisdom on how to deal with our trials, we need to seek God's wisdom and will with an open heart and mind as well. We need to resist seeking our own and trying to force it into our own way of thinking. And we need to resist the temptation of being close to what the Lord has to say to us 
about our situation. Through it all, we're also reminded how perfect our Father God really is. This verse tells us that God gives all to all who ask for this wisdom generously and ungrudgingly, rather than with reservation, stinginess, and belittlement. So he's generous with wisdom. And in this particular verse that we were covering, we're told that God will give it to us if we ask as we're handling our trials. That's a, a process that gives, or that's a, a verse that gives me great joy because if I ask, he'll provide us with that wisdom. may not like the wisdom, but then again, I know that it's going to be for my own good. And because I love and trust him, I need to follow him. So verse 6 reads, But let him ask in faith without doubting, for the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. So as we ask God for this wisdom, we're reminded that we need to believe his promises from throughout the Bible and from this passage of Scripture. This particular verse is a call for us to respond to trials and life struggles with faith. The argument can be made that our responses to trials should not involve complaining, arguing, and resisting him. Um, when we ask for wisdom, we need to make that commitment to obey him when he gives us that wisdom, no matter what it is, so that way we can demonstrate that we believe his wisdom is the perfect answer for walking through these trials. Unfortunately, to seek that wisdom, believe it, and then turn around and doubt it right away. Um, the second half of this verse uses the motion of waves to describe this tendency for some people to do that, to seek the wisdom, believe it, and then doubt it all of a sudden. I personally believe that this is a situation that causes um, problems within us as we walk, and the Bible calls this double-mindedness. So James instructs us to avoid, to avoid double-mindedness, and Proverbs ver chapter 1, verse 7 reminds us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning despise wisdom and discipline. Being double-minded opens a person to despising wisdom. So verses 8 read that persons should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. So if there is a lack of faith in God's ability and willingness to provide this wisdom, double-mindedness results, instability happens. So in these verses that we've been reading so far, faith that wavers between the Lord and then whatever else we place our trust in really isn't complete faith in the Lord. Um, that demonstrates a divided loyalty and a double-minded person shouldn't expect to receive anything from the Lord if they are double-minded and their loyalty goes back and forth. Um, I personally believe that they shouldn't expect to receive anything from the Lord because they're caught between God's wisdom and everything else and it just leaves them unable to act, unable to move forward and, and do the right thing. On the other hand, stability that results from seeking his wisdom and doing his will is demonstrated in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. And it reads, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew, and pounded that house, and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. I would certainly want to build a house upon the rock. This passage demonstrates the benefits of stable faith and responding to trials with joy and with God's wisdom. 
So we're now at verse 12 where it reads, Blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So this is the promise for meeting trials with faith and wisdom. In answering the age-old question, why does God allow his children to suffer, James would answer that God works through trials to purify and refine our faith in order to bring blessings in time and reward in eternity. So for those of us who've truly accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, for those who've given their lives to him and strive to follow him and live according to his will, we're called to consider it great joy when we experience various trials. As Christians, we're, we're expected, we expect trials in our lives because the Lord uses them for many reasons. We're to look to the Lord during those times of trial, and we're to look to him for our sense of joy during those trials. We know that our joy comes from our salvation, from having eternity with him, from knowing that he's in control of everything, and from knowing that everything that happens to us here on earth is being used to transform us to be more like him. Our joy also comes from knowing that we never face life alone again because we have his presence through the Holy Spirit. And we know that the trials we face in life serve as tests of our faith and that they help us to build the necessary endurance to run this Christian race. We know that as we face trials and consider it joy, the Lord uses these moments to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. We know that the Lord often uses the demonstration of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives to demonstrate his greatness to others. We know that our trials help us to grow in faith while helping us to mature as Christians. And we know that we're to seek God's wisdom when we're going through these trials. We're to do so fully trusting his wisdom and with full awareness that he has promised to provide us with that wisdom when we ask him. We're not supposed to be double-minded regarding his wisdom for dealing with trials because double-mindedness puts us in a place where we're unable to follow his leading during trials. And we're reminded that blessings come to us as we endure these trials. While we may not realize it during trying times, trials often bring great maturity. And so I'll say this, if you have come to the realization that you're a sinner who needs to be saved from your sins, but you haven't accepted the Lord's gracious gift, I recommend that you pray to Jesus, acknowledge your sin, and ask for forgiveness. I recommend that as you pray, that you acknowledge your belief in Jesus' death on the cross as payment for your sins. I recommend that you ask Jesus to be the Lord and leader of your life. I recommend that you promise to follow him for the rest of your days. Even though you will still have trials in your life, I believe that you will find there is great reassurance in Jesus' invitation. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, um, we all face trials. Turn to him for wisdom, consider it great joy, and know that we have him for all eternity.